Bang Lee Bang. On the Empire Podcast this week, M. Night Shyamalan takes time off from being a dead alien superhero ghost to come in and talk about his new film, The Visit, while the Maze Runners duo of director Wes Ball and Kaya Scodelario drop by to face the pod trials. All that and the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast is thinking about bringing out the Empire Podcast Pro. It's like the regular podcast, but about 20 minutes longer, with all the bits we normally cut out kept in. And you know what that means... Peter Laurie impressions and Helen O'Hara carrowing in the corner. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up, a lady who this week became our nation's longest serving geek queen. Welcome, along with her two corgis, Sam and Dean, (laughs) Helen O'Hara. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a week of real celebration here. How about that geek queen, ladies and gentlemen? (laughs) I've been really rude, Helen. I haven't asked how you are. Yeah, I'm good. I'm going off on holiday tomorrow, so that's good. Where are you going? I'm going to Cape Cod. I'm going to take a day trip to Martha's Vineyard and do a Jaws tour. And then I'm going up into, like, the woods of Vermont and New Hampshire. So it's going to be good. Cool. Yeah. There you go. Will you be doing any Q&As while you're over there? Any (laughs) Obviously, yeah. Any personal appearances? Just with random people and or bears. So it's cool. going to be good. Yeah. Well, really? Mm. Uh, next up, we have a man who's not just a film journalist. He's a chuffing film star. For it was finally confirmed this week that Nick DeSemlian, hello Nick, hello. is in Jurassic World as Edmund, a young devil may care guy who goes to Isla Sorna and applauds a CG dinosaur. If you pause the film just right, you can see Nick as Edmund wildly applauding. And if you pause it just right, you can even see his penis. Not true. Not true. <laughs> not okay. True. Well... Thanks for bringing this up, Chris. I, I, I really don't hard. feel like I've, I've banged on enough about this <laughs> this week. It's true, though. It's true. We got a Blu-ray of Jurassic World this week into the office. Jurassic and, World. Uh, I freeze-framed every single shot of the film. <laughs> I eventually found myself... Because I had thought I was a completely different different person. I thought I was a guy standing up. Wow, this is getting philosophical. So you, you've been you've been looking for yourself. I had an argument in with, all with someone places. in the office yeah. arguing that I was somebody who I'm not. And he was saying, that's not you. And I oh said, it God. is me. So there we go. That's Nick was looking weird. for himself and he found himself, but he's not the person he thought he was. He was someone completely different. Oh my God, this is so deep. And in the end, the magic was in Nick all along. <laughs> he just had to believe, Chris. He did just have to believe. So uh, if people, deranged mad people, want to see where Edmund... Uh, what's Edmund's last name? Mm, classified. Edmund you got Classified. You've got to hold some secrets you back. you got to hold some secrets back. For the, for the later instalments. Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World and soon to be the director of Star Wars Episode Nine, has uh, entered into early talks, isn't that right, about Jurassic Park anthology Edmund? That's what he said. That's what he said on Twitter this week, so I've got no reason not to believe him. So anyway, so Very tell, exciting. tell people where you are. Gosh, uh, it's the Mosasaurus. Like you don't know uh, the exact second. I don't. I wish I had the time code, but no one would care. Um, <laughs> it's the Mosasaurus Stadium where everyone is watching it, uh, jumping up and eating the shark. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a shot uh, just after it splashes down where I am applauding wildly on the far left of the screen. Wow, look out for that, ladies and gentlemen. It uh, is a barnstormer. And just to be clear, this isn't something that you then shot subsequently with a camcorder and then clumsily fan-edited into every copy of Jurassic World. This no is an actual... <laughs> If you're wondering why something a badly lit shot of someone in a poncho <laughs> shows up, it lasts for about five minutes as yeah. well. It's really weird. Why Universal um, has issued a recall of hundreds of thousands of discs. Lies, lies. It's all lies. It's all lies. All right, so let's move on. Uh, as ever, you've been sending in your questions via Twitter, Facebook, and email. This week, I've chosen an email question. Ooh. I want to change it up a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, Twitter dominates. It does. My life. Um, and I wanted to change it up a bit. So here we have a question from Ian Johnson via email who asks, which comedies would you like to see remade and why? 
Because mm. basically comedies don't get remade that often, if indeed at all. Yeah, and actually I think that's a mistake. I think they're more suited to being remade than most genres. I think because you can update the the style and the context of the humour, something like A Private Benjamin would be a very different film now yes, than it was, was on my list. in the 80s. Who would you who would you cast? Emma Stone would seem to be the obvious I, you person. You looked at my notes. Oh, seriously? Yeah, look at this. Wow, you literally do have it written down. Yeah. I can confirm that Nick does indeed have Private Benjamin and Emma Stone written down the piece of paper. (laughs) To be fair, you usually do walk around with a piece of stone with Emma with a piece of stone with Emma paper written on it. That's true, he does. Which is weird actually. It is a bit strange. It is strange. Yeah. Um, So okay, well that's two of us. Let's let's get this sucker going. I've got I've got one. I've got one. Private Benjamin. Right. Mm-hmm. And Emma Stone would be a great no, choice to play. I don't think so, Chris. Benjamin. No. Do you? No. No. I've got... No. That would never work. Don't be, don't be stupid. Don't be a stupid fool. Don't be a moron. Um, I've got another one. Splash with Jennifer Lawrence. Are you just Ooh. writing down things you'd like to do? <laughs> <laughs> or is this these films you'd like to see? Splash! Remake Splash. That's kind of a bit of a forgotten... It is a bit, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we have had Aquamarine in the meantime. Mm. You know, we have not been mermaidless. What is Aquamarine? It's a terrible mermaid this film for teens. This rings a very small bell. Yeah. But it has uh, Sarah Paxton, I believe, uh-huh. in it. I, I don't, can't remember I, who else. Possibly Jojo, who I believe is a pop singer. I don't think you're, words. Yeah, I don't think you're watching these things by accident. Is a is a Padalecki or an Ackles in it? <laughs> Neither, actually. No. Are you sure? Yeah, pretty sure. I, com- I, I tend to keep an eye out. You're a completest. I am. All That's right. true. I did watch an episode of Dark Angel the other day where uh, an Ackles turned up and it, he, he looked very young and very wrong. It was weird. Anyway, um, I would also <laughs> say... Ackles. I would also say that the rule for remakes generally is if it's been done perfectly, you don't do it again. That's my attitude towards sexual intercourse. I mean, sure. So, but I'm not 100% sure that that holds up for comedies. And the reason I'm not sure is one of my favourite films, His Girl Friday, which was itself a remake of the front page and which has been remade... Many, Twice, many times. at least since. Oh, many, many times. So it's been the front page mm-hmm. with um, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Correct. And also switching channels mm. with uh, Kathleen Turner Burt Reynolds, and Kathleen Christopher Turner Reeve. And Christopher Reeve having a panic attack in a glass elevator. Yeah. So, um, Bad film. So I feel like that could be updated again. I feel like it could still work. Especially yeah. done in a His Girl Friday style There's some stuff they should bloody well leave alone. Uh, are we right? Like Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yes, they shouldn't touch that. Don't make no. that again. You can't top that. Naked Gun, for me, is one that I do not want to see remade. I know that Fair. they are remaking it with yeah. Ed Helm. I don't want to see it. Ed Helms. Ed Helms. Yeah. Singular. Plural. Uh, <laughs> there's too many of them now. There's there's a lot of them running around. Uh, but <laughs> all of them should leave the Naked Gun alone. Because that, that, for me, is sacrosanct. What about uh, Look Who's Talking? Is there a demand? I mean, to be honest, when I was whatever it was when that film came out, I remember being amused by it. I'm not sure I should have been. Mm. Uh, so I don't know. It's, uh, do you know what? It's weird to me that there are f- relatively few films about childbirth and babies. Mm-hmm. I think there, there are a very, very small number of pregnancy films, given how many people, you know, have babies all the time. Are we going to talk about Bridget Jones's baby? A we bit will later? a little bit later, mm. yeah. But that's going to be one. Um, but, but I don't know. I just thought nowadays with today's technology, you know, 3D umbilical cords, you can, oh. you can really. What? Look who's talking. See really... it popping out at you. I, yeah, I don't I think anybody thing... wants that. No. <laughs> I want to see the baby, but with John Travolta's face. Yeah, I think you're I alone take it using like cutting edge yeah, technology. And, to... and his hair. I want to take it to the next level. Why would the baby have hair? Why? Because <laughs> why did John Travolta have hair? <laughs> That's a good point. What, why John Travolta, though? Because he was the dad last time, yeah, or the, the boyfriend. Well, obviously, he would Surely be the want... father of a baby. Of a new right? baby. 
and the baby would look and sound because that's they didn't push it that far all the babies sounded like bruce willis and whatnot they should look like the person who's because that wouldn't be weird and creepy at all deeply no, frightening right. yeah, deeply, deeply frightening fine. i've got a few other ideas should okay. i get them out here please good let's remake the mask with chris pratt Ooh. Um, no let's not do that then i don't know i don't know i feel like he's too hunky now I do, um, why i don't know because jim, jim carrey why? yeah <laughs> Jim Carrey had the manic improvisational skills. You want someone who can do that. I mean, Pratt's brilliant at improvising, yeah, but can he do all the voices and stuff? You want someone mm. who's like like a Joe Pasquale. You want someone like that. A Joe Pasquale. Okay, well, that's 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 organised. <laughs> Fletch with Paul Rudd. Oh, Fletch. On board, yeah. Because that is, that is a film I only saw fairly recently, mm-hmm. Fletch. Yeah. Yes. And I don't think it's very good. No, I don't either. It's really rubbish. It's not it's not great. I'm, and I'm going to be controversial here in, in a second as well and say that they should remake Caddyshack as well. That's not very good either. Because that mm. I'm going to go a step further. It's awful. Mm. Um I hadn't seen Caddyshack in a long long time and I rewatched it again recently and it's actively terrible. It's one of those films that's got one great stru- like kind of subplot which yeah. is Bill Murray and the Gopher. Yeah. And I want the entire film to be Bill Murray versus Gophers. And if it was that, it would be mm. a five-star classic. But there's all this other rubbish going on. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. I think a lot of the kind of high-concept uh, 80s comedies have that problem. Like, there's one thing that you remember being really good. They have name recognition. And yet, when you actually go back and watch them, they're really not great. So I think Spies Like be. Us is one of those as well. <gasps> Spies Like Us. And Stripes, to be honest. I watched Stripes. I didn't like Stripes. Stripes is not great. Spies Like Us should be great. I keep thinking it will be great. And then yeah. I watch it and it's not great. Yeah. It has got one great exchange in it, which is the dialogue. What's that? A dickfer. What's, What's a, a dickfer to pee with? with? <laughs> it also has, like, it also has a great sequence where uh, Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd are in the... Uh, the gyroscope is that what it's called and so. they're whirling around and the, the g-forces are screwing their faces up and then they're walking away and their faces are all weird i'm not selling it i realize that but uh <laughs> trust me it's very good also it has uh, lots of great director cameos and uh that brilliant paul mccartney song uh which he wrote i think in 19 minutes obviously comedies have been remade i mean arthur was remade with uh, russell brand it was. as dudley, dudley as dadley moore um, the Pink Panther movies have been remade with Steve Martin. Mm. Um, Ghostbusters is coming out next year, I believe. I think that's what prompted the question, actually, from Ian Johnson. So, you know, I think if Ghostbusters hits, if it does really, really well, I think you might see studios suddenly going, oh, hang on a second. We're sitting on a name recognition thing here. Mm. I mean, Police Academy, I know there's been talk about doing Police Academy again. That's that's something I'd like to see because but, I love the first Police Academy, but they could actually make it good this time. But then again, Vacation. Vacation. And didn't they yeah. try to make The Money Pit as a TV show? And that seems to have vanished. Did they? Oh, that sounds bad. There's um, a lot of TV shows that are adapting films. Yeah. And a couple of, couple of final thoughts. Weird Science, yeah. that feels like a movie which was very good the first time, but it feels like with technological kind of things, you could play with Apple kind of tech and, and stuff yeah. and maybe do a gender kind of switch with that one as well yeah that would be fun actually mm. um, and then Kind Hearts and Coronets but with Tom Hardy <gasps> in every single role <laughs> um, the first part I might be willing to look at only because I feel like it's a brilliant brilliant <laughs> film that not enough people have seen and therefore if a remake gets more people watching it then yes Tom Hardy though why not just go the whole hog and get Christian Bale to do comedy um, I think those two guys could be really funny it'd be like Sean Penn and Robert De Niro and We're No Angels you know just <laughs> really exercising the funny bones that have been buried deep deep beneath the surface 
Um, but De Niro's funny, you know. He's great in um, Midnight Run and Meet the Fockers and all that stuff. I think Tom Hardy could be very funny in something. I would I, like to hope so, yeah. I had a good all time right. with him last week when I interviewed him for the podcast. He, you know, I you know, went in expecting to be terrified and came out... Uh, mildly terrified. Mildly terrified, yes. <laughs> he, was, he was very funny, very nice. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious in depressing psychodrama. He should five. do the Naked Gun remake. <laughs> He's just, yeah. just standing there staring at everyone and just terrified people running. That'd be amazing. Yeah, and there's tons of stuff they can remake as well. The Odd Couple and whatnot. And uh, But it seems to me there's lots of comedies that are takes on things rather than direct remakes. Yeah, so people said the train wreck felt a little bit like when Harry met Sally a little bit. But I didn't really get that. Due but date was basically Planes, Trains and Automobiles. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. But, but awful. Oh, I've, I've awful. Don't, I don't mind due date that much people, everyone's looking at me people have actually walked <laughs> into the booth just to stare at me for saying that <laughs> going you didn't like Caddyshack but you have a soft spot for due date well soft spot is putting it a bit far have I had the script tattooed on my back yes you're now it's having an imaginary conversation spot. shall we move on let's move on sure. if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves then you can tweet us we're at Empire Magazine and you can uh, use the hashtag please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it uh, Facebook us uh, on Facebook you can just FaceTime us anytime you like um, and <laughs> and you can email us podcast at empireonline.com right uh, time for our first guests the fast rising British actress Kaya Scodelario aka at K Scotters uh, was last in the pod booth for last year's breakout young adult hit The Maze Runner and now she's back in the sequel The Maze Runner I know the, no the this time no the it's Maze Runner colon The, the Scorch, Scorch Trials, Trials. Oh, building it up for dramatic effect. Oh, I'm sorry. Kay Scotters successfully navigated the winding maze past the really horrible toilets uh, that leads to the pod booth and brought her director, Wes Ball, for good measure. Uh, they were both speaking, as I've just revealed, to Helen. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. We are joined today by Wes Ball and Kaya Scodelario from uh, the Hello. Maze... Sorry, I was about to say The Maze Runner, just Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. It's the is Maze Runner franchise. <laughs> the Maze Runner series. You didn't want to double up on the on the definite. Hey, look, it wasn't my choice. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I understand why they want to hold on to that 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 name. In Brazil, it's called it's called, it's, it's called uh, Prova de Fogo, which means like the final fire. Yeah, which is really cool. The final fire. The first film was a huge success. So did that kind of change things this time? Did you all come back to bigger trailers? And no, I mean, nicer food. Well, it's always been nice about these movies. It sounds so silly because it is, you know, a fox movie and everything, but it Pretty felt like small. we were making our little cult indie picture. It, yeah. it never felt like a, a massive Hollywood film. And the truth is, it's not. I it's mean, budget-wise, we're, we're still smaller than most big movies yeah, that yeah. Fox does. We're still... T- and something we kind of hold on to, and it, it forces us to be a little more creative and use our resources wisely. It definitely gave us more in this one, but, you know, like mm-hmm. the last one was a $34 million movie and, and, and sort of a studio terms that's almost romantic comedy kind of territory you know we're trying to do a big fantasy world creation movie but this time yeah i mean uh we're still pretty small movie which is fun you know it's fun to for us to to work hard on that level and keep things small and intimate and and still spend the money where we need to on the fun stuff you know shoot quickly which Mm -hmm. is great we do it in like two months which is insane wow um i'm off a six month long job (laughs) that's a truly massive movie there six months it's too long with us we know we have this amount of time and we've got to get it done and we know where we're going to be next week and I love that with this one we moved around so much as well. We yeah, it was definitely it's a, this one's much more of a travel movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've got we were all over the place. So it's it's weird in the, in the first movie it was a different experience obviously my first movie. 
but uh, it was mainly three locations, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so we'd dance around. From, we had one base camp every day, yeah. and we'd shot like crazy, and we'd try to, try to make each little area interesting, which is why we chose that place. But this time, you know, we're basically not in a single location for more than two or three days. Yeah. Wow. So we're just moving constantly. And it kind of does, it does bring a level of kind of momentum that the, the movie in general needs, actually. But, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's fun because we're we're more ambitious than, than than our resources actually would suggest, and I think that that makes it cool. We can yeah. try things. That's a good way to be. Yeah. So where were you shooting this time? Because you, you were was it Georgia was it last time or yeah Louisiana? we were in Louisiana Louisiana, yeah, Louisiana which was great. I yeah. missed it somewhat, but then we went to uh, Albuquerque. Okay, I missed. You love Albuquerque. <laughs> I fucking hate Albuquerque. <laughs> it's it's a beautiful place to look at, but oh god, it's boring. Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's uh, it, it's the thing about Albuquerque is that I didn't even realize it. It's a mile high city, so um, not only is the atmosphere a little lower, so that means you know any kind of physical exertions, you can really feel it quickly. But it also gets really cold, oh, yeah. and so here we are doing a, basically a desert movie. It's supposed to be hot, and the world is scorched, and it's twelve degrees outside. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the the kind of the story of this film because. This one has changed a bit more from the book. There were there were some changes last time, sure, but but not to the I think the extent of of this mm-hmm. one. So, what were the things that you wanted to do differently? So it's really kind of two things. It stems from sort of what we changed in the last movie um, that kind of echoes throughout. The audience needed something that wasn't in the books, that but that d- did show up in the second books, mm-hmm. for instance, and so we kind of incorporated that. And that means there's certain certain echoes that kind of you know it caused certain kind of you know changes up right off the bat. And then second is uh, the book itself. It's it's not as easy of a translation to a movie. It's definitely the middle chapter, you know, of a, of a book. And there's certain things that um, for a, a movie franchise that needs to continue, needs yeah. to get bigger, um, needs to have a certain kind of shape and momentum to it. And so we, we struggled with it for quite a while, trying to find that right kind of balance. And, of course, we had James, the author there, with us to kind of make sure we weren't going too far off the rails. But the way I kind of looked at it basically was I took the next two books – that James created, and then we found the two movies out of that. So that meant some things in the third book would show up in the second, some things in the second we're going to save for the third. And so we want to make sure that we've got in these three movies that we're making now, you know, there's a nice, clear trajectory, a really great saga to tell. You know, we don't want to kind of peter out by the end. You know, we want to make sure that we end with a bang, we set up certain things, some great character arcs that happen, some really dramatic twists that happen in this one. At its kind of fundamental level... It's very close, actually, to the book. It's, it follows it in terms of the shape, you know, in terms of the, this kind of a journey movie. You know, these guys, these characters, not knowing who they are, you know, where they fit into this world, but still going through this really exciting kind of adventure, you know, as they try to, you know, find their place in this sun-ravaged world. I think this one is a, is a much better movie because we've been able to do that, because we've been able to kind of make it our own. And uh, Wes has really kind of had the freedom to, to make a movie. First one we were we were making an adaptation. Yeah. This one we we made a movie. We we did what uh, what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I signed up for these movies in the first place was because I knew what would happen in this one. Right. Uh-huh. And this is what I was excited about. Yeah. This is what I wanted to do, especially for my character. is is such a great opportunity. Um, and I don't think you know if we'd kind of stuck to the book, it, it wouldn't. We couldn't have got there in the amount of time that we do have, which is just, you know, four hours, really. Um, so a lot has to change, and I think I think we've made a much better movie because of it. Yeah, I think I hit something on in the head there. It's like her character, Teresa's story, is probably the most interesting of the series. And we wanted to really earn some of the events that happen in this movie. 
And, uh, and the way they were kind of, you know, uh, handling the book, it wouldn't allow us to do the movie version very well. You know, I think all this stuff works fine and on page because you can get in those characters' heads. But here, it's, it's, you have to show, don't tell. And so that's why one of the changes was, you know, keep Teresa on this journey and not, you know, necessarily disappear throughout most of the book. And so it really allowed for some really cool things to happen, take place. She's she's separated almost immediately from the guys at the beginning of this story. Yeah, um, that's what I love. I think it would have been so easy if we'd just made a buddy movie. Uh, but that's not how life works. I think the important thing to remember as well is that Teresa's the only one that gets her memories back. She has the full picture, has which the, the others full don't. Picture, yeah. which the others and don't. that could be quite a burden to carry, you yeah. know, which is interesting. We can get the, you know, obviously it's something we get to play up more in the next one, you know. Yeah. It's, it's really going to be fun to watch these three movies, I think, when they're all completed in a run. Because yeah. we're really trying to treat it. And I think you can only get away with it recently with, like, all these serialized shows that are coming out. Where they're, you know, we kind of, the same way this movie starts, we just throw you right in the middle of the story. We don't yeah. give any kind of, you know, you know, exposition or where we were from the last one. It was no just opening monologue. Yeah, you just, just kind of just throwing right back into the adventure where it ended in the last one. There's something really fun about that. I wanted to ask about um what looked like a couple of kind of Spielberg nods oh. in there. Is that There's is plenty that of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's two guys that I study the most. It's James Cameron and Steven Spielberg, so I'm mm. sure there are plenty in there. Yeah. Which ones do you want? Which one do you think? Well, I mean, there's quite a bit of Spielberg face. Uh-huh. Sure. Uh, which is important, actually. Yeah. That's something that's really important, especially in our series, because we try to we try to focus on the characters where we can, where it's important, you know. And I think it's something that might separate us from some of the other stuff out there. You know, we are an adventure series, but we we do put a lot of um, a lot of our work into the the, the emotion and the the characters. And I, I really personally really enjoy watching, you know, these actors think. There's just <laughs> something I like, and I miss that in movies, to be honest, yeah. you know. So we try to do as much as we can, as much as we can get away with. And and I think the the most obvious one is one that's in the trailer, but uh-huh. it's it's the cracking. Glass. Yeah, sure. There's that one, but there's also there's there's a lot of Indiana Jones <laughs> references in yeah. there. There's some you know there's some shots where they, you know, it's almost the equivalent of the Raiders Indians oh, coming over the hill, yeah. and there's also the the gunshot and uh, someone behind and, and the sliding under the door as well. I don't, I don't know. There's he, nothing in Raiders like that. That's probably closer to Maze Runner to me. That's probably the only real Maze Runner moment we have in this movie. Is that kind of you know yeah. thing that we kind of set us up with him yeah. sliding under the door at the last possible minute? That's kind of the only one we have in isn't this the, one. Hang on, isn't the one where Indy reaches back for his hat? Okay, okay. He slides under a Good door, call. reaches back, gets his I'll hat. I'll take that. Temple Doom, Temple my Doom. favorite. I know that's not, <laughs> that might be blasphemy, but there. But I'm one of the very few that I love Temple of Doom. I, I to be honest, I'm with you. Yeah. I tend to, my favorite tends to be whichever one I've seen. And I see this one kind of like the Temple of Doom almost. You yeah. know, it's it's got it's kind of like Empire Strikes Back. I try to look at all those favorite those those series that I grew up on those middle chapters, what they're like, you know, and they usually always up the ante. They're a little bit more kind of fast-paced momentum and, you know, we continue that trajectory and some really good dramatic stuff happens. One of the things I liked about the changes that you've made is that for me, the this book, uh, or this series rather, and Divergent have have a little bit of a problem in mm-hmm. that the, the sort of the premise of the setup is also the mystery that you need to solve yeah. by the end. Yeah. And and the book gives you so little information about what that yeah. setup, why that setup has come to be, mm-hmm. that it, it can leave you kind of like, well, why should I care? This is just all so crazy and everything's happening and I don't understand why. Yeah. Because I think you've given a little bit more. We're trying to, go to on this well, you know, yeah, we're trying to. Trying to make a really good cinematic experience and something that's really entertaining for an audience. And you're right, the very first movie, its kind of stock and trade was the mystery and the intrigue. Maybe to a fault, you know, that we, we stuck a little bit so close to the book that it maybe alienated a few movie fans that weren't book fans, you know. And this one, what was interesting about after the success of the first one, 
what we found is that our audience is, is um, it's about 25% book fans and the rest are all movie fans. Right. So now we have to really focus on appealing to both. Yeah. And that's not an easy choice because you know, the fans, are, the book fans are extremely important to us. But at the same time, we've got to make sure that we're making a good movie. And that does mean leaving some stuff out that might feel in a movie totally nonsensical and totally illogical. And at the same time, you know, we're trying to, like you said, tell a, tell a, a good kind of, you know, three arcs, you know, series here, essentially. So we're making sure that we have the right kind of emotional, you know, material to play with on that, on that conclusion. And what's James been like with you both in terms of uh, his, really his input? Supportive. I mean, I think he, he has been supportive. You know, James has always been very, very cool. That's, just, that's the good thing about James. He, he's a movie fan, yeah. you know, and he wants it to be cool. And I do remember the first time we showed him the script. It was, you know, a little bit, yeah. okay. And then we started kind of, we sat him down and explained to him why we made the choices that we did and, and what we were thinking and the issues that we had and then what we also wanted to do. Because we, when we thought about this, this second movie, we're also at the same time thinking about the third one. You know, which is something we didn't have in the very first episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, he, he totally gets it, and he's totally supportive now, and, and he loves the movie. Always, there's always that, that first time when I show him the movie for the first time, and always, you know, I'm sweating bullets. But, um, <laughs> but he loves it, and he's a big fan of it. And he, he, even he says it's, you know, it might be an improvement over, you know, what, what he had time to do in the book. And the thing I love about James's interpretation of these things is that they are two different universes, essentially. There's a book and there's a movie. And neither kind of, you know, replaces the other. They're just, they're different, you know. And I think that's great to have an author support like that. And so you've talked a little bit about the last book. Is that greenlit already or is that something that's moving ahead already? What stage yeah. are you at? We're, we're basically going to shoot in February. Okay. Unless no one shows up. Unless week. no one shows up. <laughs> yeah. I'll see what happens. We were in the same boat last year. Yeah. You know, we were basically a little bit further along because we were shooting at the end of October last year. So basically we, we would have been shooting the next well, movie. But yeah, this time we're shooting in February, so we'll have a little more time of, to set up. But yeah, we're planning on something big, and we want, we want it to be really special and really, you know, in the saga strong, you know. So they're giving us the time to do so. And you're doing something revolutionary. You're not splitting it in two, no. is this correct? Yeah, that's true. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that was that was my thing. I mean, I don't know. I, I never. I have to say, I never talked about with the studio. I just someone asked that question at some point. And I said, "Oh yeah, I hate these four movie things. I like the beginning, middle, end. That's the way the structure should be." And I just kind of said that out loud. Viral. And then exactly yeah. went out. And then you know, I, I see the studio the next day, and they're like, mm -mm. <laughs> "So yeah, we never talked about that. it. They seem to be supporting what I'm saying, but uh, I, I, they probably would agree too." Yeah. I think it works for these movies. Yeah, really. yeah. The Beginning, middle, and end. See. There's no romancey bollocks. Now I'm not to opposed to out. having another trilogy after this. Sure. <laughs> so once once the last one's done, you're not planning to move straight onto the prequels. No. Okay. Not me. Uh, no, not me. Not I, me. I'm pretty much <laughs> ready to say it. I'm moving on after this. So I'll go find some other things to do and have some fun. But it's been a real thrill for sure. I mean, you know, obviously this is my second movie now. It'll be my third, the last one. So I feel very fortunate to have this crazy opportunity as my first kind of, you know, foray into, you know, basically starting my career, essentially. So I couldn't be more lucky. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely ready to try other stories and all that stuff. You've done, like, everything in movies, as far as I can tell. You've had, like, every single job going. And, uh, Kaya, you've been going for for a very long time, mm -hmm. considering that you're still a very young person. So how, what was your what was your first foray into into all this? I was 14. Was it Skins? Yeah, it was Skins. That was it, okay. Open That's why, how I cast her, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they wanted real kids. They didn't want 25-year-olds playing 14-year-olds. <laughs> I was stood outside smoking a cigarette thinking I was really cool and I got really nervous. I didn't want to go in because I had this whole thing of, you know, I haven't been to drama school. I don't speak properly. Mm. I'm not from the right family. I can't do this acting cool. thing. And uh, the creator was outside having a cigarette and he came over and he said, will you, will you come in and read? Mm. And I got incredibly lucky. And um, I think it was 
you know, such a, a show of its time and it was 20-year-old writers and yeah. new directors and it was all about this thing of just, let's just create something, let's just fucking make something. And uh, it turned out to be, you know, a really great show and yeah. I've been lucky the rest of my career. I've kind of always worked with first-time directors and with people that are a little bit offbeat, Andrea Arnold and Dominic Savage yeah. and Sean Durkin and I think Wes is in that category as well of just, um, there's a passion, you know, when mm. it's a first-time director and I love and, and I mean, especially with Wes, I mean, he's doing a Fox movie. So it's a studio movie and he's still treating it like his baby and making us excited every day. There's yeah. something very valuable about being naive a little bit, mm. you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is something really, when you get that little spark of an idea and you just can't wait to kind of tell that story and get a reaction out of the audience, for me, that's where it all starts, really, just that that sort of relationship with an audience. You know what I mean? That's That's everything, you know? So yeah. it's cool. And how about you? What was you? I mean, because you've come up through visual effects, I guess. But yeah, basically, I'm kind of a self-taught guy. I went to film school. I learned kind of live-action filmmaking, the kind of you know on-set production process. You know, um, I decided my 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 first film or my last film, basically graduating film, coming out of film school was gonna be uh, my first live-action or my, my first uh, animation right. attempt. So I made this little short film, and it won a bunch of awards. And then I came out to to L.A. At, right right during that process, and um, it kind of opened up a lot of doors. So I was. I was kind of around the L.A. thing, trying to find a way to kind of become a director. Of course, that took 10 years. So in between that time, you know, I kind of started my own little kind of visual effects company and a uh, little production company, do commercials and music videos and all these things. And on the side, always kind of writing and designing my own kind of larger stories. And, um, yeah, one thing led to another. I made this little short called Ruin, and um, it kind of threw everything I had into it, basically, in terms of my what, what experience and level of kind of, you know, you know technique that I had. And then uh, it was off of that short, basically. That I got in, basically in relationship with Fox, and they yeah. gave me the book. <laughs> they just kind of pulled me aside and take this book home and read it. Tell us what you think, you know. And <laughs> and then I got the job. It was like totally crazy that I came from this, you know, nobody, nothing that I've been scrapping at the doors for I don't know ten years or yeah. something. And then uh, they gave me, you know, a thirty-something million dollar movie to go make. It's really, truly like a big risk on their part. You know, Emma Watts the the president of the studio and, you know, Jim Giannopoulos, those guys really took a chance on me. So mm. I'm, like, forever grateful. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, that, that short you mentioned, Ruin, there, there's mm-hmm. rumors of that being made into yeah, a full so, length. Yeah, so, well, that the truth is I, I actually sold Ruin to the studio uh, as a feature before, or actually right around the exact same time that I got the job to do Major Runner. Okay. So it's actually been sitting on the shelf just waiting for me to go get working on it. <laughs> That's awful. But, you know, it, I was supposed <laughs> to do it right after Major Runner. That was the goal. And then, of course, the movie starts to, there, there's, a, there's a hint that it's going to do very well out there. So, Wes, uh, you know, get ready to do the next one. You're doing it, right? Well, no, I was, I was thinking, well, no, 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 you're going to do the next one. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, well, we can get someone else. It's fine. You know, just let us know if you want to ruin. That's fine. I'm like, oh, but then I can't work with, you know, Kaya and all these other guys. I mean, I had such a great experience on the first movie. You don't understand. It was just such a great, you know, first kind of foray into doing this. And and the cast is the huge part of it for me, why I came back. It was just, I couldn't, I, I was too jealous to think some other director was going <laughs> to yeah. go in and, you know, and work with them and, and, and continue this story, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah. And lucky. Yeah, and uh, speaking of getting the chance to go on to big things, I'm guessing the film you, you've spent six months on was Pirates, yeah. presumably. So yeah. how has that experience been? 
I mean, it's huge. It's it's mind blowing. It's going from tiny little English production to to being on a on a pirate ship. It's absolutely mental. And um, but also, you know, it kind of taught me to be silly. I'm quite an intense actor. I'm quite an intense person, and I lose myself in a character, and I damage myself a lot. And I love that process. I can see that. I do. Yeah. I completely destroy myself and. And it's why I do it. It's, it's what I'm about. And on this, I kind of got there, and I, you know, I'm trying to do the whole intense thing. And and I'm like, actually, I should just be singing yeah. for a little bit. Let's <laughs> just have fun. And it was amazing. It was That's scary for me. It took me a while. It took me kind of a, a month to kind of go. Let me just relax. That's and cool. Just be stupid and see where this goes and bounce off people. And so it was actually kind of you know one of the most important jobs I've ever done for me personally. That's great. Career That's awesome. wise, to to be able to just relax and yeah. you know, just do it. And it ended up being a great experience, but it, tough physically. Tough, yeah. Like, broke yeah. my collarbone. Like, oh god. Kind of you know everyone got sick. It's just a very long time to be mm. on a job. Uh, and we were in Australia, so it was you know felt very far away. Felt very isolated. When it ended, it was like shit. How long was I there? Ten years. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I had lost sense of time. Um, can you tell us anything about your character? She is an astronomer right. and uh, she's kind of, you know, very stubborn, kind of has her own ideas and, <laughs> and doesn't want to listen to anyone else. She's on this journey. She's looking for the trident of Poseidon and kind of Jack Sparrow comes along and messes it all up. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a surprise. And finally, did you get to play with Johnny Depp's dogs before they were deported? No, I didn't. I asked him if he'd bring mine over on his jet. Oh, I was pissed off that my dog couldn't go to Australia. Uh, no, I didn't. Probably for the best. He did bring stuffed um, dogs back the same time. Oh, really? He bought like 20 stuffed animals That's back awesome. and he was going to set up a photo of him walking them on a lead. He never That's ended great. up doing it, but I'm going to text him and tell him to still do it. Absolutely, that would be awesome. Best of luck with the film. I, mean, I think it's it's looking like it's going to repeat the first one success, so touch wood and cross fingers and all the rest. Hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Lovely case, Goddard, and W baller. <laughs> mm, sure, yes, very nice man. Yeah, and and lady. Okay, good. Well, that small talk is dispensed with. <laughs> Let's move on now uh, to this week's movie news. There's been a lot of uh, interesting movie news. A lot of things beginning. I want to start with the big news of the week. What's that? Which is that uh, Sam Smith is singing the Spectre theme tune. Not Radiohead. Yeah. Not Radiohead. Uh, Writings on the Wall is the name of the track, which will be all over Spectre's uh, credits. Right. Mm. I mean, it. Uh, you know, he he was one of the people that batted around early as a big name who has come out of the UK and can sing a big song. I think, you know, people were maybe hoping, well, Chris was maybe hoping for Radiohead. Well, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I was I, hoping I, for Radiohead. I was hoping I mean, for Chris as Radiohead. I was hoping for Adam and Joe. That would have been great. Yes. That would have been awesome. As you know, uh, I was hoping for Rebecca Ferguson. Lovely Rebecca. Which one? Uh, it doesn't really matter, <laughs> does it? Uh, no, the uh, X, X Factor singer who is who got an amazing voice. And um, uh, if not her, then Foo Fighters, I think, would make a cracking try, uh, go at a, at a Bond theme. But yeah, Sam Smith. And there seems to have been some Spectre-like subterfuge going on because he actually recorded it in January. And Ooh. then he's been denying it ever since, the the massive Oberhauser. Didn't he say and, he wrote um, it in about 12 minutes or something? He, 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes. One minute longer than Paul McCartney took to write Spies Like Us. <laughs> now, you know, this, this could be great. You know, people sometimes wake up with songs and, you know, if a song lasts three minutes, then you could argue that it shouldn't take more than three and a half minutes to write. But <laughs> 20 minutes does seem a little quick. 
Is it just a reworking of one of his songs? Is it like Spectre on my mind, Spectre on my mind, <laughs> I do it for the do it for the Queen? Something like that. That's there we go. That was, it's not too late you know, awesome. to, to get Helen to, to record this instead. Slay <laughs> with me. Exactly. Could, yeah. Could do that as well. And uh you just you just talking about yourself while I look up more <laughs> Sam Smith songs. I don't know, he's he's got a good voice. He seems to be a bit of a backlash. Some people have been angry about this because and I I do wonder if this is just because he is popular. Mostly Ollie on our art desk. <laughs> just a one man crusade to take yeah. down Sam Smith. But I I'll be honest, I don't really know who he is. I thought it was a type of ale until the other It's day. a pub. Yeah, I'm yeah. very out of touch with a pub that ironically Bond would not be seen dead in. There we go. There we go. It's a, a chain of pubs rather, and uh, Bond but, um, Bond is they're not Bond's cup of tea. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, September well, 25th yeah. is when the track debuts, and we may be hearing it before then. Who knows? Well, even if Radiohead are not recording the song, I'm still hopeful <laughs> that they'll be dancing in the over the credits sort of silhouette. Oh my God, Tom York. That that's. Oh, I hope so. That's terrifying. There we go. Yeah. There's still time to make it happen, Sam Mendes. Uh, what else is happening? Well, there is a new Nolan C-note. Christopher Nolan himself is, um, <laughs> as no one calls him. <laughs> they I'm probably confident. do. Maybe in the Warner's accounting department. Yo, C-note. I told you <laughs> never to call me that again. Um, yes, it's it's landing like an interstellar rocket um, in July 2017. Wow. That's all we know. And it's, <laughs> uh, it's being released by Warner Brothers. What could it be? This is huge. This is huge. It, it, it's probably going to be something focused on a man whose wife has died, who goes through some unlikely stuff, possibly kind of metaphysical, and and then comes out the other side. There you go. Am Spoiler. I detecting sarcasm? No. Mm. A little bit of, perhaps, sarcasm, but only a tiny tad. Mm, only a tiny tad. Yeah. But what else Maybe it could we? be about, about a man with a tiny tad. <laughs> Maybe it could. Um, I'm confident the first syllable of the title will be in. Yes, mm. I feel like that's that's pretty much to a complete given. the trilogy. Intransigent. Yeah. Intransigent. Intractable. <laughs> Intractable. Yes. The new Christopher Nolan film. Um, but it's going to be it's going to be good, probably, isn't it? Yeah, it probably. Is. <laughs> Some high level <laughs> speculation going on here. We, we visited his office, didn't we, when he was writing Inception? He was prepping Inception. He was just about to start shooting on on Inception, and we visited his office. He said nothing about this back then, so I uh, don't don't really know. No, what he's up to. I talked to him about because uh, the screensaver on my computer was where the wild things are. Right, and he pointed out that the font on the poster, the title, was the same as Doctor Strangelove. So well, there, there you we go. go. So That's, he's a font nerd. So we have nothing to say about this, basically. <laughs> but there, there's right. a, uh, um, one one thing that is interesting is it means it's currently going up against mm-hmm. uh, Luke Besson's Valerian, which he's described as the fifth element times ten, which would make it the fiftieth element. Oh, um, good maths. And also Pitch Perfect 3. No, that was, that is one I would not want to be going up against. And we're sure that he's not doing Pitch Perfect 3. Do you know what? I would pay to see that and then some. <laughs> I would pay double. Maybe even triple. Wow. There you go. That's money on the table, Mr. Nolan. So. Uh, yeah. I, w- I would imagine Luke Besson's movie is going to move. Pitch Perfect 3 will be nice counter-programming to whatever Mr. Nolan has lined up his uh, his perfectly tailored sleeves. I'm, int- I'm intrigued. Dan Jolin in our office is our chief C-note um, acolyte is absolutely bouncing up and down with excitement about this. This is very good. Uh, Christopher Nolan is basically a one-man Marvel Cinematic Universe for him. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so he's very, very excited about it. Yeah. Until we know more, I hope it's a Chucker Brothers biopic. I'm going oh, to throw it out there. Okay, yep. Mm. I think he'd make an excellent one. I'm not saying he could star as the Chucker Brothers. That'd be Tom Hardy. That would be Tom, yeah. As oh both. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. Double chuckle. 
Star Wars Episode Eight uh-huh. is about to start shooting. Oh my god! Exciting in Ireland. Big in Ireland. Um, later this month. Jesus. And again, we don't know anything else <laughs> apart from it's presumably a location that we see in Episode Seven because they're going back to I can't remember the Skellig island. Skellig Michael, I think. Yes. So, Which uh, is an eerie and a beautiful place. So uh, you know, good location finding work there. Where, guys. where is it? Tell me. Tell me about this place. Isn't it off the coast of Cork? I think. Mm, I don't know. It's Kerry, not Cork. It has a very ancient, crumbling monastery. Yeah. And the locals got a bit upset when they were shooting episode seven there. And apparently everything had to be checked very closely before it went over to the island to make sure it didn't disturb anything. I'm I'm excited by this. It's going to be this is going to be out in 2017, so just over a year and a half. Not even that really after episode seven, and then it's going to be another year and a half. Isn't that right? But before Trevorrow's episode 9 hits. Mm. And, Col- and Trevorrow so. just tweeted, I think on Monday, a photo of a Lucasfilm notepad. Yeah. And he just said something like, episode 9 begins or back to school or something like that. So Wow. That is starting kicking off, so it's all happening. Yeah. So you mean he's going to be writing things down? Well, that's a bit of a spoiler. A huge spoiler. Yeah. Oof. Of course, you couldn't write things down in the Star Wars universe because, as uh, someone pointed out recently, there is no paper there in the Star no Wars universe. Mm. But mm. there's lots of trees. Yeah, well, that's why there's... That's why there's lots of trees, because there is no paper. No, but if you kill the Ewoks to get to the trees, then you could make your paper. Yeah, but exactly, they haven't, so they don't. That's why. Was that why the, the Empire were going to Endor? To make some notepads? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay. And there's some nice moleskin, wookie skin notebooks. It'd be, uh, oh, it'd be monster. awesome. Look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not condoning it. It's just something that happens, and we have to deal with it and move on. Let's uh, move on. Very excited about that. You know, do we think that there may be? And this is rich coming from a Marvel guy. Uh, do we think there might be? There might be compressing the release dates a little bit too much. You know, because they've got the all the the Star Wars stories, the other stuff going on as well. You know, would you rather see a three-year gap between episodes as we've had previously, or, or are you happy with this eighteen-month window? It's hard to tell until the films start coming out and you see how different the. Anthology? Are they still calling them anthology? A Star Wars story. Star Wars story, that's I it. I imagine they focus grouped anthology and it didn't come out well. You know, hopefully those will be sufficiently different to the main episodes that it mm. won't feel like we're just getting the same thing over and over again. But no, I think there's a huge appetite for Star Wars now, so I think it'll be all right for a while. Okay, some other little bits. Born 5? I think they're calling it Born 2016. I think that's what they're that's referring what the to. It, but yeah, yeah. yeah, but it's not going to be called that. And he has his top off, which is nice. So, I mean, sure. So yeah. Someone has taken Jason Bourne's shirt and he's going <laughs> to hunt it down over the course of three films. I do, I do like the way he's he's wrapping up his um, his fists, as, as you were saying on on Twitter, Nick. It's uh, it's reminiscent of the beginning of Hot Shots Part Two, yes. which I think is the model that, to which all serious gritty action thrillers should aspire. <laughs> yep. um, and hopefully he then dips it in chocolate sauce and some <laughs> yeah. gummy bears. Yeah. So that will be fun. I'm excited about this. Uh, although, if you come to us for movie information, you found absolutely none today. It's like, Chris Nolan, what's he doing? I don't know. <laughs> what's this Star Wars episode eight about? I have no idea. Uh, what's, hap- what's Born up to in Born 5? I don't know. And frankly, that may not even be the title. So... <laughs> Uh, but well, I've got some news, kind okay. of. There's a third Bridget Jones film coming, and we do have a title for that. It's called Bridget Jones's Baby. Ooh. Um, and it's probably, as you can kind of guess if you've read the book based on that title, it's probably not based on the most recent Bridget Jones book, which is called Mad About the Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it doesn't feature babies, it features kids who are already a little bit grown. Okay. And also, uh, this has Colin Firth signed up already. Yes. Apparently, and, Re- and Renee Zellweger signed up already. Given that Colin Firth plays Mark Darcy, and Mark Darcy does not appear in Mad About the Boy again, this is looking like a different film. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Patrick Dempsey 
in negotiations to play a role, a mystery role. McDreamy himself. Yes, McDreamy mm. will be in Meeting Bridget. Mm. So maybe he's sort of stepping into the kind of Hugh Grant-ish role. Yes. But we shall see. Who's directing it? This one is Sharon Maguire directing, who did the first Bridget Jones film. So she's back, back, back. It's Paul been f- a long gap, hasn't it? Between it's been a very long gap, The last one yeah. was in 2004. Yep. That's a long time ago. It is a long time, but that's the fashion nowadays to bring things back after like 11 years, isn't it? And yeah. now they have the technology to give the baby John Travolta's face <laughs> and hair. This is wow. uh, this is re- finally ready to go. It's finally ready to go. So apparently shooting starts on October 2nd. So yeah. John Travolta, hope you're free. <laughs> or at least your hair and face. Indeed. At least um, yes, and then I have some huge news. Bring it. Roadhouse. Roadhouse. That was going to be getting my a reboot. One. I don't know how I feel about this one. I I feel highly amused just on paper because mm. this one, they're looking at Ronda Rousey for the Patrick Swayze role. And uh, actually, if Good you choice. want somebody, yeah, if you want somebody with a sort of history of violence who could rip your throat out with her bare hands, that seems like a pretty good good choice. My question is, will they get Sam Elliott and his magnificent moustache back? I hope so. Roadhouse yeah. is one of those 80s classics, which is largely unintentionally hilarious, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It has lines of dialogue like, pain don't hurt. Yeah. It has Patrick Swayze ripping a man's throat out and then spin-kicking him into a lake. Yes, it does. It has, <laughs> it's, um, you know, Bill Murray apparently uh, watches this film every time it's on TV. And then he calls up... Uh, the husband of Kelly Lynch. He's friends with the husband of Kelly Lynch. He's in the film. Every time the sex scene is on mm. and starts giving him shit about it. And once he apparently called him from Russia because <laughs> he caught it on TV in a hotel room. So I wonder how Bill Murray feels about this. <laughs> I just want to be excited. If Bill Murray were the bad guy replacing oh, Ben Gazzara oh. from oh, original, then that, now that I'd be interested in. Ronda Rousey's interesting uh, because obviously she can clearly handle herself. I don't think she's that great an actress as she's shown so far in her screen outings. It doesn't mean pouring water on it. I'm sure it'll be very, very good. Mm. But Swayze had Swayze, you know, wasn't a fighter. He was he was a dancer and a lover. Uh, he had you know he had other things going for him, and uh, including a boatload of natural screen charisma. Yep. And um, you know, I'm not entirely sure Ronda Rousey has that. Um, but please don't tell her I said that. I, I like just hope they get the, the tone right because the joy of Roadhouse is how ludicrously overblown every single thing is about that film. Mm. And you have to get that right. It's one of those movies where I'm not entirely sure the director knows it's meant to be funny. Oh no. Rowdy Harrington. <laughs> well, maybe if they can, you know, essentially do a Fast and Furious on it, then they can get that ridiculousness. Yeah. You mean bring in The Rock be. and Vin Diesel? I mean, I mean you, you said <laughs> it. I'm right. not going to argue. The Rock is Dalton. <laughs> now we're talking that would be insane uh, when he's not busy rescuing puppies Indeed. anyway which The Rock spent the weekend doing he's like a slightly inferior version of me I mean I don't agree but I see what you're going for should we have a moment to reflect on that can you please put your shirt on and your trousers it's like, oh, it's like a stuck record in this place can you put your shirt on can you put your trousers back on can you stop pointing that in my face look for god's sake just let me be free. Right. So, any more news? Uh, one final tidbit. Zack Snyder's son, I hate to break it to you, will not be Robin in Batman v Superman. No. Apparently, some people started thinking that he was. Uh, Zack Snyder Instagrammed a photo of him and his son with the caption, Boy Wonder. And uh, <laughs> people with way too much time on their hands uh, went on Instagram, saw this, and started getting angry. So, uh, Zack Snyder has clarified that that is not 
going to be, in fact, the case. So people can relax. I, I think I think people should just generally relax about that, probably. <laughs> uh, there is an interesting Robin rumour going around, a Robin theory. I don't know if it's a spoiler, but if you Google Robin theory Suicide Squad, you'll probably come up with it. And you'll find a lot of furious people. Yeah, you will. But I mean, that stands to reason. Okay, that's awesome. That's that's a lot of movie news. And while we're here, might as well have a quick plug. The current issue of Empire, which is our first... Um, oh, did I just indicate there might be another one? Ooh, what? Ooh. Uh, which is our first Star Wars issue, is um, on sale right now in all good and evil news agents across the galaxy. So do pick it up. Lots of great stuff. Yep. A lot of great stuff. Inside, and I can reveal that our, our next guest, who is about to uh, to play on this podcast, um, we offered him the dark side and the light side covers, and he went for the light side. That's an exclusive. That's huge. What would you go for? Oh, dark. Cool, dark light, side. Cool lightsaber. Yep. Cool lightsaber. Is that all it takes to, to impress you? A cool lightsaber? Not, you know, doing the right thing and being a Jedi and not that, you know, necessarily any of the people on our light side cover are Jedi, but... It's got three blades. Yeah, but so does a Gillette Mac 5 Turbo. That's why I have ten of those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And that's why you have such smooth skin and no stubble. Uh, Helen, what would you go for? <laughs> um, Was that I, weird? I, it was a little weird. Was that weird? I was just about to leave and give you guys some privacy. Should I, I put would... my trousers back on again? Yes, please. Please, Chris. Um, I would go for, and indeed did go for, the BB-8 subscribers cover. Yeah, but... Yes. That's because... You... He's, he's on the cute side. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, this, the light side cover is John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, and uh, Oscar Isaac. And the dark side cover is Captain Phasma, played by Gwendolyn Christie. General Hux, played by Donald Gleason, and Kylo Ren, the evil Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver. Okay, let's greet our second guest. Nick's already given away the twist. It is M. Night Shyamalan. We last chatted to him a couple of years ago about the ill-fated After Earth, but after a shaky couple of years, the man they call Knight, because if you call him M, James Bond will get confused, is back, back, back in the horror genre with The Visit, which is being held as a return to form. He graced us with his own Visit recently, see? No. Good stuff. Uh, popping into the pod booth to talk with Nick and in perhaps the biggest twist of them all, Ian Freer making his first pod appearance in Yonks. Enjoy. We are uh, delighted to join M. Night Shyamalan to our haunted podcast booth because apparently, we were told this recently, there are two ghosts in this building. Is that right? I can feel, I thought I felt something. You know, it's fun. It's funny. I, I had a little, when you guys were walking me down to the studio, I, I just had a kind of like... One was like a Goodfellas moment, like you guys were walking me down to, to, to get me whacked or something. But it was like a, a little, a little negative vibe, like some some negative thing. And I was like, wow, that's weird because it's just a recording studio. Yeah, apparently an old man and a small girl. So oh. if you see any dead people, <laughs> you've not heard that before. Well, let us know. My goodness, an old man and a little girl—that's scary. Yeah, we'll see what happens over the next twenty minutes. Um, yeah, so welcome to London. God. For the, yeah, just behind me. <laughs> So welcome to London. You're promoting The Visit, which yes. is a, a found footage horror. Are you calling it horror? Well, I'm actually making a distinction between um, documentary and found footage. And in the, and the movie is shot in a kind of documentary format. And, and the distinction for me is that uh, documentaries kind of have a, a cinema to it, an aesthetic. You, you know, you can light, you can approach it with taste and beauty. And, and found footage by its nature kind of has a haphazard quality. There's no aesthetic behind it, no cinema. Um, but I do love documentaries a lot, and so it's kind of a, a really powerful format. And and genre-wise, I think it's more of like a, a very, very scary, funny, psychological thriller. Your lead character, um, Becca, is a kind of a document, a wannabe documentary filmmaker. And at one point she does say, um, uh, you know, no one cares about cinematic standards these days. Is that you? Is that, is that, is that how you feel about things? <laughs> and, well, no, she, she actually says... 
she has cinematic standards, and then her little brother says, "No one gives a crap about cinematic <laughs> standards." <laughs> and her little brother is kind of the entertainer of the movie. And these two kids are visiting their their grandparents on this isolated farm and are making a movie for their family of kind of bringing their family together. And she's coming from a very artistic sensibility. And then when things start to get very uh, weird and dark, the little boy is very entertained and wants to record everything. And were you one of those kids who made films? I was. I was. I was like that kind of that typical obsessed filmmaker kid that made movies in the on the weekends and took my dad's uh, Super 8 camera first and then made a what I thought was a very clever Friday the Thirteenth Part Five movie, which I thought was hilarious because no one would ever make five parts of the same movie. <laughs> um, and it was terrible. And on all the movies I made when I was, uh, you know, growing up, there's like 45 of them. They're all excruciatingly bad. But now they're kind of funny in, in, in inadvertently, but I was quite earnest at the time. And I was copying everyone. Every movie, if I saw a movie I loved, I'd just get the kids from the neighborhood and we would mimic it. Who was playing the baddie in your Friday the 13th? Uh, it was, I was the victim. I okay. was the victim. All I, re- I, all I remember from, uh, it's, it, from that particular thing was me running through the forest and then it ending with catch-up which was supposed to be blood, but not realizing it only looks like oily on right. the <laughs> So it's <was> like oil. <laughs> so you've perfected blood since then. Well, I don't use Heinz ketchup. That's, no. I've moved off of that <laughs> at the, as a solution. And the, the other character in the film, Tyler, he's a kind of a wannabe rapper. Did you write those raps? I did. I did. It was fun kind of waking up in the morning to write the kind of those funny raps. Tyler, uh, Ed, who plays Tyler, he's from Australia. He's just amazing doing them. He's so he kind of has this lisp and and, uh, and does them in such a funny, charming way. I'm curious about your relationship with horror. Which movie has terrified you the most? Well, my favorite uh, scary movie is The Exorcist, for sure. You know, um, it was kind of from my favorite time period of filmmaking in the 70s. And they had a kind of a naturalistic approach to cinema that I thought was really effective. Even the even the film stock back then was my favorite film stock. I wish we could we could use that that film stock again. It was just grainy enough, and it had just enough limitations that it felt like grounded and real. And so their approach to horror even then was really fantastic. And of course, they were fantastic directors. Um, Friedkin being one of them. Is that the one that actually? traumatized you yeah, as well as definitely. admiring it yeah as a kid I, I saw that and I, I basically stayed with my parents for a month and, and they, they were like you need to leave the room now it was, <laughs> it was a difficult time you didn't try to recreate it yourself with well, pea that, soup no that was, a, that was a hair before I was working uh, every weekend with the kids yeah it's funny only on Friday now that I remember it only really Friday the 13th there was a couple other horror movies there was a possession movie a Ouija movie there oh, was really? all those, yeah. Who was who was playing the possessed? You, I, I. Well, that was you again? No, actually, it was my brother-in-law. He's he's, <laughs> he's a terrible actor, just absolutely <laughs> terrible. And then he kept smiling, and I was like, "You're dead! Stop smiling!" <laughs> has this been has this been the most fun of your movies to watch with an audience? Because there are a lot of big jumps and it just is. big moments in it. Yeah, it's such a fun movie. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely my favorite uh, audience movie to watch. I I really loved watching Signs with the audience, um, but this one is even more fun for me because it, there's so much humor in it and so many kind of jump scare moments and and there's obviously a big big mystery that the audience is watching. So I love watching all the gasps and everything. And they talk to the screen, which is so fun. What's the loudest reaction from someone watching this film that you've seen? Oh, they're straight up cursing. There'll be there'll be absolute silence, and someone will be like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and then and some kid will scream that, or some lady will scream that, and the whole audience will burst out in, in laughter. And there's some uh, 
really dark things that happen, and it, it's it's wild when the audience starts applauding those things as they start to happen. There's you know there's events that happen in the latter part of the the film, and I'm astonished at how everyone starts applauding at those moments. <laughs> Are we talking about the adult nappy? Uh, that that that's one. That's one. Uh, that one they kind of clap out of outrageousness, but there's literally like heroic clapping that happens in the at some really dark moments. Can you imagine making this film without having a a supernatural moment, making a family drama? If we weren't, you know, here talking about selling the movie, I would tell you privately that all my movies are dramas. You know that that's how I feel about them. I try to approach B genre subjects as if they're kind of A dramas and you know we in the rehearsal and the choice of actors and the way we approach it and the the way we talk about the characters uh, a real respect for the craft and um for me in the past including including the exorcist you know when when it's approached like that and you get very very you know grounded real performances ev- everything benefits you tweeted recently that you're watching the masters to cleanse your system after <laughs> yeah. making this film yeah. what have you been watching which classics well, I was at that. I think I w- when I was tweeting that I was watching um, Blue Velvet. Um, You're a big David Lynch, yeah, big David Lynch yeah. fan. And then I was watching. I watched Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, Pedro Almodovar. I don't know if you uh, are familiar with Knife in the Water. Yeah, it's know, kind of dead. Polanski. Polanski's yeah. the yeah, Art House dead calm. Yeah, yeah, Polanski's <laughs> first movie. So like that, watching that. Oh, and I was watching the original Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. I haven't actually. Not that yeah. One. Black yeah. and white, you know, fantastic. Are you a Criterion Collection guy? Oh, have, yeah, definitely. Of them? Uh, not all of them, I wish, I wish. But at the household, you know, I have to, you know, if I'm, uh, it's to sneak down and watch, you know, a movie, I watch a classic, but otherwise, you know, I have a family full of girls, so they're all watching the Kardashians, and I have to, like, <laughs> stop watching this. Let's let's put on... Something some, with subtitles. Let's put on some Kubrick or something. <laughs> what do you make of the Kardashians? <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, you know, it's funny how we're talking about it, right? Because we were talking about reality TV, then we're talking about how to how to shoot a movie in a documentary style, and then we also talked about the '70s and the kind of a grounded cinema verite approach, which is all the same thing. Which is, you know, the more you can make it seem like this is real, the more effective it is, right? And so, even when you do comedies now, like Modern Family or The Office, it's shot like a documentary. Yeah. Just that little bit to make it feel like it's actually happening. Which makes it funnier, makes it scarier, makes it you know the 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 suspension of disbelief you know kicks in much more. But you know uh, it's in the movie uh, The Visit. I we actually talk about uh, reality TV a lot. So <laughs> not tempted to to do a keeping up with the Shyamalan's style. Keeping up with the Shyamalan's. Um, yeah, would that be an entertaining show? It would be pretty boring. Our house would be kind of like okay, you need to explain why you got the A minus. This is an issue. <laughs> Maybe, the, maybe, we call that episode we like called the Asian F. You know that's what the Asian yeah. F is at A minus. So I would be like, you know, I need to understand what went wrong, and then there'd be little tears, and I'd be like, stop crying. You need to study a little bit harder. That's basically what happens. There'd be a bonus episode where you're just watching one car Wai films. On your own <laughs> <and you're studying. laughs> yeah. I mean, now you're in a, a position where you can pretty much meet any filmmaker. I imagine that you, that you yeah. want to. Are you somebody that that sort of gets in touch with people like William Friedkin and people you really admire? Yes, sort of I'm, I've been really lucky to to meet uh, you know kind of iconic directors at random times. One of my um, really really wonderful moments was uh, actually at the Academy Awards once. Uh, a young lady came over and said, "Hi, I'm a big fan," and I said, "Oh, thank you." And she said, "My dad wants to meet you, but he he can't you know get out can't get up. He's uh, you know not doing well. But can you come to his seat?" And I was like, "Okay, sure. Can you just give me a second? And she just said, "My dad wants to meet you. He's a fan of yours." And I went over, and it was um, Robert Wise. Wow. Yeah, 
And and I was like, and she's like, this is my dad, Robert Wise. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I, I I love you. Did you fail to keep your cool? I totally, totally became a fanboy. I went crazy. And I was like, The Haunting is my favorite. And I mean, guy's a genius. Yeah. And um, uh, it was just an amazing moment. Famously in your office, uh, you reputedly have um, uh, free posters, Raiders, Die Hard and The Exorcist. Is that still the case? They've rotated. In my actual office is The Exorcist, Jaws, and uh, High and Low, Kurosawa's movie. And then at home I have In the Mood for Love, of course, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 12 Angry Men, and Diabolique. Would you ever consider directing someone else's original script? I did direct uh, Wayward Pines, the TV show, which wasn't mine. Um, and so that pilot was kind of really the, the kind of the first time I did something that wasn't entirely mine. And, um, and how did that feel? It was, it was good. I was a little bit, uh, it was kind of more, I think when they wrote it, they were thinking of me in mind when they were writing and they offered it to me and you could, I could feel like it was genetically right. By the way, it was very David Lynch, um, Twin Peaks inspired tone of the pilot. And so, um, I guess I, as I've been telling you, like I'm, I'm so much into that headspace that it was, it was, it was just a really nice match of, yeah. of material and me. I enjoyed very much Terence Howard's relentless eating of ice cream. <laughs> yeah. And I was just, every scene he's in, he, the ice cream would come into shot. Yeah, we did many takes and he just kept going. He's that actor. <laughs> so he, yeah, did he put on a bit of weight during the, during the episodes that he was using? You know, he did, he did a good job uh, hiding it. If wardrobe hit it from me that he was gaining weight, they did a good job with it. And that's got, had an amazing reaction. Yeah. Wayward Pines. Like, yeah. it's, it, there's talk about a second season. And yeah, it was fantastic. People loved it. <clears throat> they did. I was so, so, such a generous reaction to the, to the TV show, uh, my first TV show. And then it did really, really well in the United States. I mean, I think it did well all, all over the world. But in the United States, it was the number one scripted show. And it, and it grew each week, you know, more and more viewers, which is unusual on, on television these days. And um, just a rabid fan base. So really, really exciting for everybody that was involved. I can picture you sitting there on Twitter, waiting for the episode to air and the big twist, still the big reveal to to happen, and seeing everyone's reaction. Yeah, this was it was very interesting as Wayward Pines because we with Wayward Pines because we had so many reveals during the piece um, that during each episode that and you know the water cooler talk is is so fun to. To, to hear everyone each week talking about it. You probably had some people swearing at you on Twitter as well as yes. in, the, in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and with, with Twitter, what's your thought about kind of uh, statute limitations with spoilers? Do you think it's okay for people to talk about, say, the end of the village now? Do you think there's enough time has passed? 20 years. That's the, you can't, you can't tweet <laughs> about any major plot things in, in in film for 20 years. At 20 years, then you can... You're good to go. Yeah, and, and only for a three-week period at that point, and then back to <laughs> another embargo. Someone from the office, actually, as I was coming out to do this, asked me to ask you if you've ever had... He said he had the ending of The Sixth Sense ruined before he had a chance to watch it. Have you ever had the twist of a, a massive film? Oh, no, you wouldn't do ruined. that to me. I mean, I would literally... <laughs> I'd literally, you know, put you in a headlock, and, and I, I don't take that lightly. <laughs> and and your friend, is, are they still friends with that person that said that? I doubt it. Because that's an abusive relationship. They need to get out of that. Yeah, I, I have a history of accidentally ruining... I, I ruined oh, you're that guy. No, I accidentally. I don't mean to do it, <laughs> yeah, but I, mean, I think people have seen the film, and I ruined Gravity for two separate people. I see. Uh, so. And how did you feel after you did that? You're really bad. Did you? For, for a little bit. Will you change your behavior or no? That's not something you're interested in. I'm trying to reform myself. You're trying. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, back, back to the visit. There's a lovely running gag about um, people they meet wanting to be actors or admitting yeah, that they're actors. Yeah. Um, but you don't appear in it. Are, yes. are you kind of done with, with putting yourself in your own films? Or how do you no, feel? I'm, I'm always open for it. I, I, love, I love acting in my movies. I just, you know... 
don't jam it. Don't jam the movies with it. And, you know, the the issue is I'm Indian. I don't know if you've noticed, both of you have noticed this. Yeah, so um, it's hard because there's basically five white people in this movie. So just a random Indian guy walking around is, you have to like jam the story to make that work. What do you consider your best performance? I did like I did like the car scene in Signs yeah. with Ms. Mel. Yeah. That was I remember I was that that was a kind of a, a, a wonderful afternoon when we were shooting that. I rewatched the whole of Entourage this this year. Oh, really? I, I I had forgotten you were in it. No, that's a great. <laughs> that's one of the, the the best cameos I think. Uh, was, that was so there. fun. That was so fun doing that. That day that day was hilarious. We had such a great time shooting that. It's you and Gary Busey up there. <laughs> <laughs> um, is it true that your favorite film is Raiders of the Lost Ark? Definitely. It's way up there in terms of favorite, like in terms of just pure joy of watching a movie. As I said, Jaws is up there. But I have a long list of movies that are in the in the pantheon where they have no, there's, there's no peers for them. So it's hard to compare them. But yeah, Ian and I are both gigantic yeah. Raiders. Oh, great. When you work on Empire, people always ask, what's your favorite movie? And my... Standard response is Razor Lost Ark. Razor Lost Ark, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was religion when I saw that. Yeah. Just, just like. What's your favorite shot in Raiders? <sighs> Man, there's so <laughs> many. God. Um, will you tell me yours? Okay. I love the one where Harrison Ford's at the end of an alley in Egypt and he runs right up to the right camera. Right up to the camera, yeah. Amazing. And then looks around, yeah. And then the camera moves back a little bit. Yeah. Amazing. And then shows you all the different baskets yeah. that he's that he that he can't find his girlfriend in. Yeah. That's a good one. Mine's got to be the. It's hard to say it, describe it without acting it out. But the bit where he's standing in front of the golden idol, clearly, thing, the, yeah, the, 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 the thing with his fingers. Yeah, it's just awesome. The emotion of that. Yeah. How many how many uh, viewings did it take you to spot the fly going into Belloc's mouth? Oh my god, I didn't even notice that. Really? You're kidding? Yeah, no. I, it's hard not to see once you've seen it. It's right <laughs> near the end of the movie. Uh huh. And uh, Paul Freeman's talking, and the, the fly buzz, lands on his face, crawls down, and pops in his mouth. And then what? what I've, so I've ruined Raiders of the Dark for you now. <laughs> you ruined gravity for people. I'm uh, so sorry. Oh my god. Oh dear. There's a th- there's a, uh, a theory that's come over in the last couple of years that Indiana Jones has no Im- input on the plot whatsoever. If you take him out, the uh, outcome of the film is exactly the same. The Nazis find the ark, they open it, they all die. <laughs> is that, he makes no 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 uh, impacts on the plot. So is that is that bad screenwriting? Is that? <laughs> Wait, it, it, we're yeah. ruining this film for you, then. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Because he doesn't even with the staff of Ra, it's burnt into the Nazi's hand, isn't it? So they had that anyway. They would have they're digging the wrong place, but they would have found it eventually. Eventually, they might have figured yeah. it out. Or maybe actually, no, actually, they may not have found it if it wasn't for him. That's even going further, like tying him to the architecture. Like maybe because he he was the one that had the other side, they may not may not you may never have found it, and then. So Indy was critical for the Nazis to find it. That's mm. kind of beautiful. It's like a weird Mobius loop. Yeah, exactly. Of, of what's going on in this film. <laughs> Lawrence Cousin always says he hates that the Arabs are singing. When they're, they, when they're digging, oh, they're singing. Yeah. Along, no, yeah. No, yeah, they... but why would you sing when you're trying to do something in secret? And <laughs> why would you do that? You, you guys are the worst, by the way. There's the also, wor- I'm sorry, <laughs> I, I, I hate to bring this up. You're the there's, worst. There's also I thought a... you love this movie. <laughs> but it's proof, I mean, it's it's proof, it's proof that, that a great movie that you love with all your heart can still have things wrong with it and imperfect. I guess every well, movie like, has I never thought of it as something wrong i have to see it from like this clinical well, there's also point a, of view i mean when indy's escaping from the well of souls he pushes one of the giant bricks out and it bounces when it hits the, when it hits the ground when he's climbing out so are there things that you see in your movies when you you know when you catch them on tv well, and you're i'm like, not oh. watching them with you guys that's for sure <laughs> jesus 
Um, yeah, you guys would be really fun to watch movies with. Oh, it's only because we've seen that one uh, one thousand times. times. I mean, yeah. I've seen it too, but I see it with like childlike, magical eyes. Now I feel bad. My yeah. eyes, our eyes are ancient and yeah, you know, which is cynical, 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 cynical bastards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steven Spielberg said, I think this week uh, he made a comment about superhero films and how that as a cycle is going to go the way of the westerns, where they will not die out, but yeah. slow down considerably. Do you, have, do you have a take on that? Do you enjoy superhero films? Uh, I, I did. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's something I, um, obviously I love comic yes. books, you know, but um, uh, it does feel like a lot. It does feel like a lot. I like diversity, both as we talked about in music and also in film, and I, I enjoy them, them but I want to see Black Swan, and I want to see Amour, and I want to see these movies being made. You know, we were I, when I when we talk a lot about how much cinema has changed um, from to, from 1999 when I made when Sixth Sense came out till, till now. So you know, 16 and a half, 17 years, and and the year that Sixth Sense came out, these were the movies that were the biggest studio movies: The Sixth Sense, The Matrix, Blair Witch. Um, Magnolia, yeah. The Insider, American Beauty, Being John Malkovich. I mean, there, there's more. And it's, all auteurs, all original movies. That's a ridiculous year, that year. Yeah. yeah but, the, but the industry was, it wasn't by chance. We were, the whole industry was interested in original spec screenplays. That was the industry. Buy the next new original spec screenplay. That's how they made movies back then. Um, nurture, you know, filmmakers, and and then give them a chance to do something. You know, that that was the original. And then, slow as you can tell now, it's the pre-branded uh, nature of of the films is is the is a is a is a big a big factor. Yeah, I guess Unbreakable was well ahead of that kind of superhero curve. Yeah, Unbreakable um, at the time was the 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 acumen was to not mention it's about comic books because. That was a fringe market, and and so no one would come and see it. That was the the absolute. That was literally verbatim the conversation to me, and um, I was like, I like comic books. I think other people would like to see a movie about comic books. I I don't know, maybe. And did, <laughs> did you have ideas for follow up for that, or was that just? Really yeah, I, I do. You know, I have. Um, I, you know, I still think about it. I still think about doing something, but I would want to do something really kind of again original rather than a, inherently a sequel is is difficult for me because it's it's. It's not new, so I'm, it's hard. It's you know, if you're kind of interested in doing something original already, that's a tricky, yeah, a tricky. You but know, it's your original. It's your world, isn't it? It's so, my world. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I just don't. I can't go the way of a Marvel sequel or something like bigger and you know, tights and fighting and that kind of thing. It would yeah. need to something, you know, because it's a it's basically a drama. So I have to, you know. But I, I've been thinking about it a bunch. M. Night Shyamalan, thank you so much for, for coming in. Thank you, guys. It was really fun, even though you've basically ruined Raiders of the Lost Ark for me. And cinema. And, and cinema in general. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. M. Night Shyamalan there. Nice guy, Nick. Very nice guy. Although he, I think he hates us because we ruined Raiders of the Lost Ark for him. Night, if you're listening, we're so sorry about ruining Raiders of the Lost Ark for you. Uh, we're going to talk about the visit very, very soon, but that's tackle the week's biggest release, I think it's fair to say, starring last week's podcast, Tom Hardy. Uh, it is, of course, Legend, the latest movie to tackle the story of notorious Jimmy Sangsters, gangsters, uh, Ron and Reg Cray. It's written and directed by Brian Helgeland and uh, is quite an intriguing take on the legend of the craze, isn't it, Hells Bells? Uh, it is. It's got Tom Hardy playing both brothers, uh, Ronnie and Reggie. Uh, so Reggie is probably the more savvy and certainly the more stable 
mostly of the two. Ronnie is uh, a donkey on the edge, um, possibly over the edge, actually, for for quite a lot of the time. Um, But it it focuses on on the two of them, and it's sort of seen, or at least narrated by, Reggie's wife, Frances, who's played by Emily Browning, who is the sort of, I, I guess, the slightly more innocent figure caught up between these kind of titanic characters. And it's a sort of a rise and fall story. It basically, we join the craze, I guess, when they're already somewhat established um, as East London gangsters, but it sort of covers their foray into the West End, their real kind of ascent to the the heights of society, actually, at the time. Um, and mm-hmm. then, you know, the, the mistakes that proved their undoing, mm-hmm. essentially. Really, yeah. really good cast here. You've also got the likes of David Thewlis in there. You've got Colin Morgan. Um, Taron Edgerton mm-hmm. uh, is in there. Um, really, really good people. Um, it, it's very much, though, Tom Hardy's film because he's in not one but two leading roles. There's a lot of acting going on. One of the great things about his performance is you are never confused as to which twin is which, ever. Yeah. Um, and that's only partly because Ronnie's usually wearing glasses. But you can always tell which is which. Um, and that that is actually a real testament in something like this. That said, I think Ronnie is such an extreme character that at times it's uh, it's almost distracting how big that character is. And you're not sure if, if Hardy is over is, is overacting or if that is literally who the guy was. But it's still it's it's a it's a pretty good uh, performance by him. At least a very very good performance by as Reggie. And then Browning I think is really good. I think she loses out a little bit. The oxygen is kind of sucked out of the story a little bit by these two enormous characters next to her. Yeah, I, I kind of get what you're coming from. The film worked for me. It's a different approach. It feels more like an American gangster movie in many ways. It doesn't feel like one of the endless Guy Ritchie ripoffs that we've had. <laughs> That's um, definitely true. I'd 100% agree with that. But it is still a London, like you do get the yeah. sense of the place of London, but it has, do, it has a little bit more of that kind of sheen to it. Also that kind of flair and that sense of humour, I think. Yeah. I know what you mean a little bit about Ron is a very, very large and alive character. But I think it's a movie that gives itself a licence to go into some very out there areas. Uh, Ron was a, as the film reinforces, a paranoid schizophrenic who, when he didn't take his medication, was a loose cannon and is he any more out there or outrageous than say Joe Pesci in Goodfellas I really I think it's a fantastic performance I think most people most actors I'm really thinking about Jean-Claude Van Damme here (laughs) tend to just differentiate between twins by slicking their hair back yeah Uh, this is there's two distinct personalities on screen the body language is different the voices are different i think ron is a is a is a performance that is much more given i think to parody yeah you could do a ron hardy voice yeah. if you wanted to it's a bit like the bishop from the from monty Python. but you know it's it's kind of i don't know but there's something about that character that that, that has stayed with me there's something he does with his eyes which fascinates me as ron cray in that they're not on. The eyes are dead. And I don't know how he did that. And I've asked Brian Helgeland how he did that. And he doesn't know. He says it's almost like there's someone inside Tom Hardy's head who just goes around turning off the lights going, okay, we're done now, bye. And that's kind of, there's something quite sinister and disturbing about uh, Ronnie Cray. That's for sure. In this movie. But Reggie Cray is really interesting to me as well. And I'm not entirely sure that the film's decision to focus on Francis is entirely successful. I would like, I, I think I would prefer it. I can see why Helgeland did it, but I think I would have preferred something that actually just hear the craze and this is what they do and these are the people that get caught in their web 
yes and bad things happen but there's something I'm not sure I think I think the interest I I agree that Reggie has a a lot kind of going on that you don't get to at first and I think what what the film does really well is begin to hint that a lot of a lot of Ronnie's problems Mm. Reg has to a much lesser degree but they Mm. are there they are inside him and and it's sort of he's just more in control of that and I think that was a really interesting line to take and it makes the relationship between them very interesting and, and the relationship between them is actually fascinating because Ronnie is a liability in a lot of ways on mm. one hand he's a strength because everybody's scared of him quite rightly but on the other hand you do not know what he's going to do next and that makes him a real worry even to his allies so there are there, yeah some really interesting relationships here um, and some very funny stuff we gave it four stars I'm possibly at the lower end of that spectrum I'll be honest but um, you're more than a three I'm more of a three but think, at the I same time seems, I can, on the, on I the can poster, see it'll why look like a four, though. Yeah, <laughs> that is true if you don't know what that re- refers to is uh, the poster the that was released this week for Legend has all the movie's four star reviews on it from all the different outlets including us and like every, you know loads of other people it's been very well received over here uh, the Guardian's review of it was a two star review and in a move that I think Ron and Reg might have approved of um, had they been around and involved with the marketing of this movie the Guardian's two star review is actually on the poster but the way they've done it is they photoshopped it so it looks like it's a four star review and Ron and Reg's figures are standing over the other stars it's very very clever but yeah I, I'm, I'm on the four spectrum I've seen it I've seen it a couple of times a couple of little quibbles as I said I'm not entirely sure the Francis thing works entirely but for me it's a movie that's is utterly dominated by Tom Hardy every moment he's on screen is which is pretty much all of them is uh, is a, is a treat. It feels like a very just a solid gangster film, which is which is good. So four stars in uh, for Legend, and and now we will be talking about the visit, Nick. Ooh, yes, the what, visit. What is it? It's a bit of a return to form for uh, M Night Shyamalan after the the last couple of films. You know, he made the Last Airbender, he made After Earth, the mm-hmm. huge big budget studio movies that were quite somber and a bit humorless, and nobody really liked them. And he has come out with a visit, which is something very different. It's very low budget. I think it cost $5 million instead of, I think, After Earth was $130 million, something like that. It hasn't got any stars in it. And it's uh, this kind of found footage tale of a couple of kids, Rebecca and Tyler, who go to stay with their grandparents who they've never met before on this kind of remote farm. And what quickly emerges is that uh, things are not all right after 9.30pm, is their enforced bedtime their grandparents go berserk and like weird shit starts happening there's a point where they peek out the door and grandma is scuttling around (laughs) in a (laughs) truly terrifying manner and it's a ludicrous setup but the film understands that and it's intentionally got a lot of comedy in it and i think the main thing about this film is that m night Shyamalan is having fun clearly having fun in a way that i can't remember the last time that he was mm. and it's something quite different the tone of it it's it's very much a horror comedy like it has got a lot of scares in it but it wants you to laugh at it and with it and um i had a good time with it i don't think it's more than three stars personally mm-hmm. but i had a really good time um it was just something very different from him and i enjoyed seeing it it was a weird it was a weird screening because i was in a screening room on my own with a security guard sometimes you guess <laughs> when you're seeing a movie you know, before it comes out, you sometimes have a security guard just standing there keeping an eye on you to make sure you don't get your iPad out and stuff. And the this big security card kept jumping <laughs> like, wow. constantly through the film going, ah! Obviously, the movie worked on him. And I think a lot of people will enjoy this. I have reservations. Like, the whole thing is done through a camcorder. The young girl character is um, making a film. She wants to be a filmmaker, so she's recording everything. So you see everything through the camcorder. And that feels a bit played out. 
mm-hmm. and a bit forced sometimes. You know, when someone's running after you, you don't tend to start pointing a camera at them. But it's it is fun, and the last twenty minutes, half hour, is demented in a good way. It's interesting. It's he's teamed up with Jason Bloom, who does the uh, the Purge films and the Paranormal mm. Activity films. And so I wonder if this is his new direction because he's already working on his next one. I wonder if he's going to yeah. stick to doing the low budget stuff with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it sounds really great. I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of of Knight's early films. So, but he's a very funny man. He's a very knowing man, a very smart guy. So it's great to hear that this might be a return to form. But, you know, in the interview we just ran in person, he's a furry energetic, fun, got silly sense of humour. That doesn't mm. always come across in his films. Even the early ones, I don't think that comes across that much. No. Signs so, a bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. But Unbreakable, which is my favourite of his films, mm. is utterly po-faced and serious and, and he has these, he has this long, languorous style where the takes go on for ages and he holds shots. And I imagine that this movie with its found footage has a more frenetic quality. Feels freed up. Yeah. yeah. Although he did say, I did talk to him about that, and he said that he worked out the shots very precisely, even though they're kind of found for, you know, the camera jerking around. You still have to be quite precise with that, doing this kind of film. But yeah, it's got it's got a lot of personality in it, which is what I like. So I recommend with reservations. It's going to be interesting. Uh, I wonder also if it taps into, because I think a lot of young kids, yeah, obviously you love your grandparents and stuff, but there's also that feeling as well that, you know, something about old people, very mm. old people is a little <laughs> bit creepy. There's something about old people. There's something about old people. Oh I, you, uh, you know, when you're a kid. Sure, sure. Not now uh-huh. that I'm rapidly becoming one myself. <laughs> but I just wonder if it taps into that sort of primal elemental thing as well. I think so. Cool. I think so. Yeah, he said it's been quite popular with, with older people. They've had screenings for old people and they've they've loved it. So. All right. Yeah, OAP Amazing. horror. Yeah, it's a new thing. Absolutely. The grey pound flecked with red. Um, (laughs) Three stars then for the visit. And last but not least this week, we're going to tackle the Maze Runner, colon, The Scourge Trials. Yeah, so this is a film, and again, we talked about it in the interview a little bit, but this is a film that essentially has no beginning. It doesn't bother with a recap of what happened last time. There's no voiceover, there's no block of text dropping you into it, nothing. Here we are being picked up and uh, brought to a new place. And it kind of, I'll be honest, ends without an ending as well. I'm, I'm not going to get too too far into spoilers, but this is very much the middle chapter of a trilogy. So if you haven't seen the first one and you don't plan on seeing the third just don't bother it's a good film for what it is there's a lot of very well conceived action the performances are pretty good I think uh, Wes Ball has a real eye for the big screen but it is a middle part of a trilogy and it is completely unabashedly so and it makes very little compromise to anyone so our story is basically they have escaped the maze last time they're led by Thomas who's Dylan O'Brien's character he's allied with Caius Scodelario's Teresa, but they're taken apart at the beginning of the film by their rescuers from the maze who are led by Aidan Gillen's character. And hes it's not quite clear what's happened to Teresa in the interim. It may be something bad. And it's not quite clear what Aidan Gillen is up to. Given it's Aidan Gillen, you can be pretty sure it's not good but why is it not good? We're not sure. How's his accent? Accents. Accents, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, there's about six per, per sentence. He packs a lot in. He packs a lot of accents in. He, he <laughs> you does get your money's worth. He, he does yeah. a little bit of a tour. But, I, mean, it's I a- downloaded an app, guys. I want to use it. <laughs> and it tells me you've got all the accents. But it is it is a great um, it is a great uh, supporting we cast. We do yeah. actually love them, yeah. But it's a great supporting cast. You've got people in there like Lily Taylor turns up, Barry Pepper turns up. It's always good mm-hmm. to see Barry Pepper. Uh, Patricia Clarkson's back in it. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito is in it. Mm-hmm. Really good mm-hmm. people. Also, big bad scary monsters this time. It's a very scary film for a 12A. Now, admittedly, I'm terrified of zombies. 
And these are very zombie-like monsters. They're kind of fast Ugh. zombies. Let's call them infected, if you will. Okay. But uh, there's there's quite a lot of scary things after them. So the idea mm. is that the, the reason they were put in the maze was to go through these trials to be tested because a devastating thing has happened to the world and it involves a solar flare that has burned out most of the landscape but also a virus that's turned people into zombies. There's a whole lot going on here. Right. Very little of it makes sense. But you kind of have fun along the way. Okay. What was scarier this week? The evil grandparents, <laughs> the zombie things, or Tom Hardy and his cold, dead eyes? I mean, it's a t- that is a tough call, actually. I really don't know. Mm. As Ron Cray, his, as Reg sure. Cray, his eyes are alive and vital and beguiling. <laughs> really Chris, welcome. trousers what? back on. Oh, God almighty. Also out this week, uh, Woody Allen is back in funny, serious form with Irrational Man, in which Joaquin Phoenix decides to murder someone and <gasps> gives it a great pondering because he's a philosophy teacher, isn't he? So he thinks about it quite a lot. Uh, Emma Stone's in it. Way. You'd like that. Parker Posey's in it also. Yeah, we Yay. like Parker Posey. Yay. Uh, three stars, though. We didn't love the film. Three stars for Woody Allen's Irrational Man. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Jason Clark. Star Ooh. of the true life tale of tragedy in the world's biggest mountain, Everest. And Ben Wilbond, Lawrence Rickard and Simon Farnaby. Uh, three members of the team behind Horrible Histories and Yonderlander will be dropping by to talk about their Shakespeare comedy, Bill. It's a packed dance card in the old Empire podcast next week. That's uh, Make no mistake about that. I shall wear my special trousers. Will you wear them this time? Like keep them on? I'm gonna, if, if I have to staple them to my legs, then uh, yes. Nick, let's staple them to his legs. Let's do it. Until then, it's goodbye from Nick. Fare thee well, sweet listeners. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen. Uh, toodaloo. And it's goodbye from me. I'm just off to hide all the staples in the office. See you next week. Bye.